0: You are listening to Geekish Cast, an Astro Panda Production Network's podcast. Geekish Cast, episode 166, the Kevin Eastman interview from Tracy Comic Con 2017. I have to give a bunch of shout outs real quick, then we'll take a quick commercial break and be right back with the interview. First off, I want to thank everybody at Shedskin Reptiles and Become One Voice. Morgan, Rachel, Zion, Erica, Jeff, thank you for having me involved. This would not be possible without you. Everybody else, go check out the show notes to get the web addresses to check out Become One Voice. Shedskin Reptiles, they support some great causes. And also bring a great comic show and reptile event to Central California every year. I also have to give a shout out to Intermission Productions, Cheryl and Dennis Lancaster and their grandson, whose name escapes me right now, but I believe it was Brendan or Brandon. Great people. Do a lot of great stuff in entertainment, but also in helping uh, places like Become One Voice here in the Central... Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate all your help and everything you've done. Also want to say that the first question that is asked is Kathy Garver, who played Sissy on Family Affair and Firestar on Spider-Man and his amazing friends. She was not mic'd when when she asked the question, so I hope it comes through well enough for you to hear it. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back with the interview. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and uh, I'll see you in a week or so.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, still going strong, 32 years later. Please welcome... Kevin Eastman, creator of the Teenage
2: Mutant Ninja Turtles. Hello, Tracy. So excited to be here with you guys. Thanks for coming out and sharing you Saturday. And uh, thanks for uh, um, being part of this great event and part of this awesome uh, charity event for the uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation. We're proud to be here and thrilled to be here. And this is my friend, um, Jeremy, with the cast. Yes. Go this on is on. Kevin Eastman from okay. our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Have you met team. Let's get a hand for him. Oh uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. What a, what a great act to follow. It's so nice
0: to be here, following you. Um, Thank you So yeah, you, typically we do a slideshow and, and do some questions, but um, we're going to do something fun. And we're going to do sort of, recreate sort of... Uh, well, what we're going to do is we're going to record a small episode for the podcast, The just Past. And so this is my chance to interview a guy whose comics I've been reading since the sixth grade. My goodness. So <laughs> pretty, pretty big deal for me. So, so I want to start with this. When did you get turned on to comic books?
2: Um, it's a great question, um, I was a, I grew up in a very small town in Maine, and um, and there was not a lot of things to do there, I uh, always loved children's books, reading uh, books, um, and I discovered comic books that was really, you know, the, the heavens opened, the the angels sang, it was like, um, living in this small town, if I could write and draw my own stories, I could basically go anywhere I wanted to, any adventure I could imagine, I could go on. So, at a very young age, probably nine or ten, I uh, got really passionate about comic books, and. Drew all over everything, all over the walls of the house <laughs> and that kind of stuff. You know, Drew uh, was, I was that kid that was, uh, instead of a pay, uh, doing my chores and paying attention in English class, I was drawing comic books. Um, but yeah, that was a dream since I was very young. And um, actually, one particular uh, person I always like to mention first and thank the most at my, um, at my uh, uh, panels is a guy named Jack Kirby. Um, so probably most of you know who Jack Kirby is. If anybody that doesn't, yes, he's the legend. Uh, Jack Kirby, uh, with Stanley created a co-created most of the Marvel Universe, so Spider-Man, Hulk, um, pretty much every every Marvel character you know. And he was the guy that really inspired me. Um, I remember telling my parents uh, to this day that when I grow up, I'm going to be Jack Kirby, and they had this horrified look on their face, like, oh my goodness, so we're going to have one of those kids that never moves out of the basement. Uh, <laughs> but I said, I'm going to be like Jack Kirby. So he's my, I call him, he's the giant that I stand on the shoulders of. He inspired me to draw. And uh, so a real dream come true to, to follow in his footsteps. Well, that's a
0: good hero to have if you're going to be in a comic book. So yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I do want to cover, uh, for those who don't know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles themselves. You'd have to be
2: a Daredevil Frank Miller era fan to really get their origin. You want to talk a little bit about that real quick? Sure. If you didn't know that, um, you know, when we created the Turtles, um, actually, let me just give it up for Peter Laird. Peter Laird is the co creator of the Ninja Turtles. Um, uh, without Peter, there wouldn't be Turtles. We, we, we created it together, and I'll tell you that story in a bit. Um, but it was actually, I'll tell you it now, because it leads into the Daredevil story quite, quite wonderfully. Um, both Peter and I, being fans of Jack Kirby, we formed this little studio in this tiny little town of Dover, New Hampshire. And the name of the studio was called Mirage Studios, because it was a mirage, it wasn't a studio, it was our living room. Um, and we figured that if uh, we joined forces, because we both had different artistic strengths, if we joined forces, maybe we could get work drawing. Um, which we did a lot of submissions, collected a lot of rejection letters, <laughs> which you do when you're starting out. You, you try and you try and you keep trying. And so um, late one night, um, I wanted to make Peter laugh, and I thought to myself, because I was a big fan of Bruce Lee, martial artist Bruce Lee, and I said, if Bruce Lee was an animal, what would be the silliest animal that Bruce Lee would be? Um, Something a fast-moving martial artist, slow-moving turtle that seemed to make a natural joke. Um, so I did this sketch, and actually this is a... On our Team Eastman t-shirt, if you look, when you come by the booth later, this is the very first turtle drawn back in 1983. Um, so I did this sketch and I put it on Peter's desk and I said, um, this is gonna be the next big thing. It's called a Ninja Turtle, ha ha ha. <laughs> and that was kind of our barometer. It was, uh, if we laughed and you know, we, you know, we kept the joke going. And so he we said, well if one, why not four? Um, so I did this sketch of uh, four turtles, each with a different weapon, I did it in pencil And when I uh, gave it to Pete to do the inking in, he uh, um, inked all the turtles in, and we had this comic book logo that said Ninja Turtles, and he added Teenage Mutant to the title. And we just looked at this and we said, this is the dumbest thing we've we've ever seen. This is the silliest thing ever. Um, We didn't have any distracting pain work going on, so we should actually try to come up with a story that tells how these four characters got to be the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And that was uh, November of 1983, and throughout uh, 1983, early 1984, we worked on the origin story. And what we did is following guys like Jack Kirby, we loved uh, um, uh, you know, characters like Daredevil, which is by Frank Miller, we, um, the Fantastic Four, we had a superhero group. So we picked all of our favorite parts of comic books um, and kind of put them into a blender, and out came the Turtles. Uh, And and the origin of the Turtles and there's actually if you know Daredevil if you guys are fans of Daredevil comics um, um, (laughs) And things like um, Daredevil's mentor the new TV series, especially the Frank Miller series was a guy named stick Uh, We have splinter the Turtles mentor in the uh, Daredevil uh, comics and the Daredevil TV series that that the evil ninja clan they fight is called the hand and in the turtles we have the foot and 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 even like the turtle's origin, um, they uh, became radioactive. They mutated from this mysterious ooze. And in the daredevil origin, um, as the story goes, there's a um, blind man about to step into a busy New York City street. There's a truck barreling down the street. And young Matt Murdock jumps out to save this blind man. Um, When he does, this truck um, puts on its brakes, jarring loose a canister of radioactive ooze from the truck comes loose in the truck, hits young Matt Murdock near his eyes, um, blinding him and making him, turning him into Daredevil. But in the Daredevil comics, they never said what happened to that canister of ooze. So in the turtle's origin, it's the same story, except we had the canister continue bouncing down the street. <laughs> and this poor young boy was standing precariously close to a sewer opening with a, holding a terrarium, a glass terrarium with four turtles in it. Canister strikes a terrarium. Into the sewer they go. Uh, there just happens to be a rat down there. So you see it's very much tied into the Dear Devil origin. But my favorite part is um, when we started working on the origin story, it was coming up with the names. And that's one of the most asked questions, which I love, is, uh, you know, where did you come up with the names of the turtles with the name after Renaissance artists? Um, and that was, um, you know, when you're talking something as silly as Teenage Mutant to Turtles, we said at first, well, traditional Asian names seemed appropriate because it was, uh, you know, the Japanese history and the legend. and, and uh, uh, the inspirations there, but it was still—it's not silly enough. Uh, Doug, Bob, Steve—still uh, not silly enough. And I just blurted out because I was a big fan of Leonardo da Vinci, and I said, well, "What if we name one Leonardo and the other one Michelangelo and Raphael?" And of course, Peter laughed, and that's where we started the, the whole name thing. So. How much of that was you just trying to bust each other up? Was that a big part of creating the turtles? Yep. Yeah, that's... it was. Uh, it was definitely it was. You know, we. You know, as I said, um, uh, laughter was our best barometer. So it was like. You know, if it made us laugh, and you know, because we never, you know, you have to keep in mind when we, we printed the first issue, we, we borrowed a little bit of money from friends and family to print the first issue. We never thought we'd sell a single, a single copy of it. So um, from the very beginning, we were writing this book for ourselves, and so we said, let's write a kind of story that we'd like to read. Nobody else is going to read it anyway, so let's do something we really enjoy, and uh, so all the drawing, all the storytelling, everything was just basically done for us, and then,
0: and then one question I had, and this is something, maybe
2: maybe this is apocryphal, but I heard you worked in newspapers before, you, or
0: journalism of some kind. So you actually knew how to create publicity for your comic, which is something a lot of artists could learn, probably just from reading your story. What what did you really apply to get the word out about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles originally? Because it went from a book you and your buddy were trying to bust each other up with, to a huge worldwide phenomenon.
2: Well, that was, you know, I was very lucky that some of the illustrations, and actually Peter very much so as well, we... Would take any job we could get and peter at the time uh when we did the turtles, he was doing gardening illustrations for the small town newspaper in new hampshire <laughs> and i had done some spot illustrations for um i grew up in portland maine and uh grew did some illustrations for magazines we were always trying to sell sell our um uh, comic stories to as many different cartoon magazines and in comics as particular there was one called the comics buyer's guide which was Back in those days, there was no internet. There was no, you know, way we would communicate. You know, we didn't even have cell phones. <laughs> we sell dialing phones. We had to dial. Um, but uh, um, so when we um, got ready to release the first issue of the Turtles, we said, "Well, let's let's make it like it's a big thing, and let's put out a, an official press release, and we'll see." If, you know, you can just put it out. You never know. Nobody's. You know, we sent it to the comic book newspapers, which we knew would put something on it, and we sent it to some local newspapers in New Hampshire. And um, you know, this local newspaper, uh, one of the entertainment sections, the variety sections, was a comic fan, and so he did this article on us, and it ended up getting picked up by the AP um, Associated Press. And suddenly, um, once it goes out on the wire service, back in those days, any newspaper around the country can pick it up. So suddenly, news about the turtles' release was in every news, all these different newspapers all over the country. So we were getting calls from all kinds of places, but it was. It was, you know, making the, you know, again, it's not because there wasn't an internet. There was no other way to reach people than things like newspapers. That was a way to get the word out there, and it was quite excellent.
0: There's that serendipity that Margaret was talking about a bit ago too. Yeah. Um, So we'll we'll kind of fast forward a bit so we can get to audience questions. But you're running the turtles again now.
2: Yes, I was lucky enough. I I, I've sold my interest in the turtles probably 20 years ago, but they've never been very far from me. I've always been very blessed. Uh, they've been a such an important part of my life, and you know, especially in the early days. I, I, I love seeing some of the older fans here. Um, in, in that, um, some of the, I call you guys some of the original fans, <laughs> and I always love that. Um, you know, because I started doing a lot of signings and stuff probably four or five years ago, and it was so different because back in the early days, when perhaps you were young, um, I'd do a signing, and, and a young person like yourself would come up four or five, and it'd be. Um, you'd be excited to get an autograph, but there would always be this parent behind them, very disgruntled thinking. You could read their mind and they're going like, oh, do you know how many Christmas Eve's I stayed up putting that stupid turtle sewer playset together? Or uh, how many times I walked to the restroom in the middle of the night and stepped on Leonardo's sword and all that kind of stuff. Um, but times now that the, have changed that some of you folks have children of your own and those children have discovered um, uh, the turtle. So now it's a completely different is that I have the original fans uh, happy to see me, and then the younger fans are happy to see me. So. <laughs>
1: um,
2: but yes, about uh, six years ago, um, uh, a company called IDW uh, started publishing the Turtles comic books again. Uh, they hadn't been published for a while, and they invited me to come down and, and, and work with their team. of uh, Tom Walsh is the head writer, uh, Bobby Kernel is a series writer, but I write, co-write, I plot, and do the series, and we, now we've been doing it thanks to the new audiences, Discover the Turtles, I've been drawing, and uh, writing turtle stories for the last six years, going on seven years. And it's been an absolute blast. Because uh, to me, the comics were always the original inspiration, the original comic books we did in the, uh, in the 80s. And now we get to do it again with IDW. And so many, uh, it's, it's funny, I always like to bring this up, because uh, Tom, oh, the, the guy that's the head writer, um, he was a kid, he was one of those kids back in the day. And I just, I'm a huge fan of his writing. And a lot of the write- a lot of the artists that we work with on the series, I love them because they're so fantastic um, and they're so good at what they do, but I, I hate them because they all draw turtles better than I do. <laughs> uh, no, they're, um, I'm kidding, of course, they do. They're fantastic artists and they're so inspiring, um, but they do really do, uh, they're wonderfully talented and I'm so proud to be working with them. So. That's, that's a pretty amazing story. So uh, anybody got any questions? How
1: did Haim Saban
2: become involved in the turtles? Sure, uh, Haim Saban produced a wonderful live action TV series Um, When we first did the Turtles, the first Turtles animated show started in 1988, and we, uh, Peter and I at that time, we had full control over all things Turtles. Um, We worked on all the original 300 cartoon episodes, all the original movies, pretty much everything you saw uh, with a turtle on it around the world that we had some um, direct say or approval on it and a creative hand in it. And then it was um, around 1995, that the cartoons—I don't know if you remember—a lot of fans. It was like there was a lot of TV networks, like NBC, ABC, CBS, always had a big cartoon program, especially on Saturday mornings. But they started changing to a lot of news and um, uh, uh, animal programming and other kinds of things. So the Turtles came off the air, and this is around the time that our big one of our competitors and friends was Chaim Saban with the uh, Power Rangers. He was the gentleman that brought and packaged the Power Rangers here in the states. Um, so he came to us with this idea he said wouldn't it be great if we made a new turtles um, TV show and this time live action because it had only been animated There've been live action movies and animated cart, uh, TV shows but no uh, live action TV series so we we did a wonderful program with Haim we did 26 episodes uh, that's where we introduced the, um, the girl turtle which I loved Venus de Milo was a girl turtle that was brought into the group a lot of fans I know didn't like Venus but I loved Venus um, so yeah, we worked for, for two we worked with Haim for two years of that series and then we all sort of moved on. was it April a reporter? Yeah, April was a reporter from the very first cartoon show. Um, and we loved it. She was a scientist in the comic book, but when we did the um, when we started doing the uh, designing the cartoon series, we wanted her to be more involved with the turtles. Um as sort, of, sort of like a, a big sister, if you will. So we made her a reporter and had her. Yes, I went on the interview
1: for that. You did? I was Awesome. And I, I I did a great job. I thought this is perfect. And then my, my agent called back and they said, They loved you. And they had you had it until the very last
2: minute. And they wanted I know your voice. I said, well, why didn't you keep telling me that? <laughs> anyway, that's that's my main I need it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's you know, I'm I'm so proud of like I like the original voice cast uh the, the 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 cartoon show, uh, Towns of Coleman and uh Ralph Paulson who did the voice of Raphael originally, now he's back and he's doing Donatello in the new series, uh, Cam Kennedy, um It was time, April in the new series. <laughs> it was yeah, April, uh, but yeah, now that I'm so, but it's such a, you know, I'm so, you know, anybody that has any kind of acting and goes out, um, I always feel, I've had friends that have been actors over the years and I get frustrated for you because it always feels like, you know, you feel like you have the part and you don't know to the last second and uh, so it's, you know, they never let you know why. But, yeah tough business. Ms. So, oh. Miss Garber, anything
0: else? Who else has got a question?
1: <laughs> Hi,
2: Kevin. I'm a How huge, are you, sir? Good. I'm a huge fan of the turtles. Um, thank you. I just, you know, it was a huge part of my childhood. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you very um, much. You know, I just also wanted to ask, um, what do you think about the new turtles? your opinion. the new turtle movies that uh, you know it's it's been an interesting process when I look back at the um the history of the turtles uh, my favorite turtle movies would be the, the first turtle movie uh, you know the original 1990 <clears throat> Jim Henson Steve Aaron a movie was my favorite um that first series like even um uh, the Secret of the U's and, and that stuff. And then when we did the um, live action TV series, and then we did the 2007 movie, which I like quite a lot, which is um, Kevin Monroe did that animated one. And when it came time to do, um, uh, you know, Nickelodeon was embarking on the new animated series with the computer generated, and Michael Bay and his company wanted to do the new series, they actually brought me in to consult. And I gave him a lot of things of what I thought should work. And um, uh, they felt that they wanted to take it in another direction. And some of their inspirations, I thought, were, were good. Even, um, I mean, the size of the turtles, the new look of the turtles were based on some black and white comic books we got, did back in the day. But I think as a physical presence in the movies, um, I wouldn't have gone that direction. I felt like, you know, having the turtles um, more teenager-like, more younger, smaller in size, um, it made me feel like, you know, when you root for somebody like uh, Spider-Man, to me is more believable. He's a, a teenager, he's a kid, he's figuring it out, and the fact that he can rise to that height and overcome such an evil foe makes him more of a hero in my eyes, if, having the turtles so big, it took away their, their charm, a lot of their charm. So it's not what I would have done. Um, so the first movie I wasn't, um, there was some good parts of it, there was stuff that I didn't care for as much. Um, the second one that came out I liked a bit more because we got to see uh, finally live action Bebop and Rocksteady. And, you know, I thought they did a great job with that and Krang and um, Casey and stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't know if they'll do a third live action, but it's, again, it's not the direction I would have gone, but I think there was some fun stuff in those in those films. What did you think? I'm, I'm a fan more of the original. Yeah, me too. I like the original ones. so. Yeah, it's funny, even though we did a recording, my wife Courtney and I, we did a, a couple of other charity events where I get to do a live voiceover commentary over the first movie. And it was so much fun because it's great to see that first movie on the big screen again, and how much of it it still holds up pretty well. But looking at those, what they were able to pull off with those actors wearing um, those—I say those poor actors—because they were wearing 80-pound rubber suits and acting and doing all those spins and kicks and martial arts—it was just, it was, it was amazing, and it was just beautiful to see it again. So that's that's my favorite stuff as well.
1: Hi, Kevin. I'm going to tell this story again I told you. Oh, yeah, please. um, Because with Kevin, I met my wife. Um, My wife had gotten the rights to do promotions for New Line Cinema's movies. And I was building mascot suits at the time. So she called and hired me to build some turtle suits for her. So when she came up to pick up the suits... Wow, that's my wife back there handling the sound. Hi. How nice to meet the other half. My wife, Cheryl. Still married to him, yes? Yes. Um, On a more serious note, one of the things that Kevin has done is he's created a character that's touched a lot of lives, similar to what Margaret has done with Tinkerbell, what Kathy has done with Sissy, Um, Beat and Greets, and we opened The Secret of the Ooze, Ooze movies. We would go to hospitals and burn wards to see the kids. And I gotta, t- I gotta tell you, to see a kid that's all wrapped up in bandages and all of a sudden he gets the strength to go and do the high fives and all of that, or to become a kid's last wish. And on a couple of occasions, I was a kid's last wish and I had to immerse myself into the wonderful world that he has created. A surrogate father who loves his kids. Um, kids that work together but yet they're not perfect. If you have really touched a lot of lives with your creation. Right? We owe you a debt of gratitude. And well, thank you. Know.
2: Well, thank you very kind of say it. You know, it's, it's funny because I, you know, one of the first things I... Um, whenever I do with these um, kind of panels and things, the first yeah, thing I, I thank is, is um, uh, Jack Kirby for the inspiration to Peter and I. I always thank Peter Laird for the co-creation, being a great partner all those years ago. But um, third, but certainly not... Far from least, I thank so please, the fans because please, you know they think show. that you know I'm I 55 started. years old. Yeah. I've been drawing yeah. turtle comic books since I was 21, 22 years old. Um, my dream, like I said, when I was you know nine or 10 years old, was to be Jack Kirby to draw comic books for a living. And I would not be able to do that if not for you guys. I mean, to have one single fan, to have look how many of you, coming in, sitting here listening to me. blah, blah, blah. Um, But I have the greatest job on the uh, on the planet because of you guys, and I do thank you sincerely. Um, I, I do. I, I can't believe I get to get up every day. And do that. No, but it is, um, it's such an honor, um, uh, you, know, you know, somebody asked me even recently and said, you know, why do you think the turtles are popular again after all this time? And I, and I say that, you know, I don't know. Um, uh, it's your fault, all of you. Um, and I say that because, you know, when I was a kid, you know, nobody could tell me what I liked, what, what I thought was cool. Kids decide what's cool. If you decided to like the turtles when you're younger, that's because you like them. There's something about them you liked. if they decide that they find something uh, they love about them today they do and so it's such a gift that you know we created something that was um uh, kind of from a pure and happy place we just wanted to tell a really fun story with really fun characters the kinds of things that we'd like to read and the fact that they're still you know out there and making people happy today is the greatest gift it's the most humbling experience of my life and so it's quite an honor quite humbling and thanks but yeah, we, had, we got got a bit more time. Do so yeah, you guys have any other questions? Yeah. Who else has got a question for us? Don't be shy.
0: We'll go with Jack Skellington back there.
2: are no please. silly questions.
1: I was going to ask about: um, uh, Is it true that the uh, first Turtle movie uh, almost didn't come out? Say that again, please. Uh, the first Turtle movie almost didn't come out.
2: Well, it was scary. It was, um, you know, it, there was so many. The very first Turtle movie back in the '90s, uh, early '90s, it was, um, you know. Um, it was such a strange thing is that, you know, with the comic books, they're hand-drawn, you know, so that's one form of uh, the animation. I mean, what's so fantastic about these uh, animation cells that um, uh, are up here is that these are still hand-drawn, they're hand-painted, they, somebody drew them and they're actually hand-painted. Um, that's that's another an easier form of, of, of doing it. The toys, you know, it's a 3D plastic thing, but to do the live-action movie, it's like, how do we pull off a live-action movie um, if you don't believe the turtles, if you can't make the turtles act in a moat and, and have the people believe in them, uh, it's just not going to work. Um, but even when uh, this started coming together, it wasn't until Jim Henson came on board um, with his fantastic Muppets and uh, his puppetry. and In fact, so many of the, uh, the animatronics that were created for that movie, um, literally he You know, the stuff that he patented, he made stuff that made those um, uh, puppets work and act and emote. And you know, even then, I remember, you know, even like when we were first, uh, the first couple weeks on set, uh, when they were shooting in Wilmington, North Carolina, it was very close to a military, it was a, a, an airport was nearby, and it was on the same wavelength of some of the wireless stuff, so the things would be going off and doing crazy things. So we had to, you know, so it was was very difficult, Um, but, um, uh, you know, we were very blessed with a a great director, and of course Jim Henson, bringing those characters to life, was uh, was was the responsible. He's the one that made it this success and uh, the make the characters believable. So,
0: Kevin, thanks. I'm going to ask a non turtle question real sure. quick. Sure. How did your involvement in Heavy Metal magazine come about?
2: Um, Heavy Metal magazine is a. I found that I discovered um, Heavy Metal magazine in 1977, and it was pretty pivotal, pivotal in in my life. In that, I still love comic books, um, but comic books for the longest time. When I was growing up, they were kept and regulated under what they called the Comics Code Authority. Um, the McCarthyism in and, and in the late um, late '50s, early '60s had decided that comic books were rotting kids' brains. Um, on the one hand, because they were too, they had to be regulated like they do the movies. That they wanted all comic books to be G-rated, and so um, they had to 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 keep them, you know, for very younger kids. And so by the time I was like 12 or 13. Um, I was kind of getting bored with them, the same kind of things and then along comes Heavy Metal Magazine and Heavy Metal Magazine um, uh, was the first of its kind that imported a lot of European comic books um, that had much edgier and older science fiction, not because it was adult themed, it was just like more intelligently written science fiction more intelligent kinds of storytelling and so when I found Heavy Metal it made me realize and it cemented in my a creative mind that um, any kind of story I could imagine like when I was a kid growing up in Maine any kind of story I could imagine and could write and draw um, I could do it and heavy metal proved it so I was really inspired by it to continue drawing and continue to pursue a career in, in comic books and then through the success of the Turtles years later I actually bought heavy metal magazine um, in 1990 and I still own part of heavy metal magazine and we still publish a lot of um, European material, um, for the most part, European comics, all kinds of comics.
0: As as a publisher, have you seen a turnaround since the economic downturn has kind of ended? We've started to rebound. Are you seeing a comeback of paper publishing, or what do you think the future of publishing
2: holds? Well, that's a that's a good question because it is. It's very you know we're in a very interesting time that um you know in comics because uh, you know even Courtney and I, our son is eleven and he's, grow, he's grown up around comic books and me drawing comic books and being exposed to it, but he's, he, he's, it's not, the art of comic books or the appeal of comics is not particularly interesting to him. He's kind of a sports kid, though, but you're seeing this trend that a lot of younger um, uh, readers would prefer to read it, and you do digital, they read it on their iPads. They'll look at other forms of, uh, of entertainment, and so I see like the comic books, people coming in, and the younger people coming into the comic businesses um, yet less and less, um, so it's mostly older guys like me and an older audience that's continuing to support the market. So I'm, I'm curious to see, like a lot of people, where it's going. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's it's you have the digital aspect where some of the most popular movies over the last probably decade, decade and a half, have all been comic book-based. Um, the Spider-Man movies, the Avengers movies, uh, all those kinds of things. So... Um, it's great movies, great entertainment, so I hope that we continue to, you know, publish. Um, I hope we continue to do things like Heavy Metal Magazine. We have a great, you know, we have, I think, about a 25,000, 30,000 subscriber user base, you know, a cult. It's very small, but it's uh, it covers the cost of doing it, so I think as long as we can stay out there, you know, maybe it'll have a resurgence, like, people buying record albums again,
0: That might be
1: Okay, let's go to the Mutant Ninja Turtle family back here. Hi, um, I wanted to ask you, first of all, I, want, I agree with you that the first Ninja Turtle movies, I feel like those are the classic ones, and I like the way the Ninja Turtles really portray like the turtles from the cartoon rather than looking like giant mutants. Monsters. Yeah. <laughs> um, Frankenstein monsters. The only question I have is, um, why was it that uh, Bebop and Rocksteady were never put into the original part? Uh, movies or Crane? That was
2: it, it was something that we were frustrated about back then as well. But it was um, it was one of those things that we were very lucky in that we um, were always expanding the different kinds of mutant characters that we had in the cartoon show. There was a lot of it was you know Krang was central to the cartoon show, Bebop and Rocksteady were central to the cartoon show. But we'd always try to bring in new and interesting characters even to the cartoon show before the, the movies came along. And so our first thought in this second movie, Secret of the U's, was to bring in Bebop and Rocksteady and bring in Krang. But we said this is also a chance for us to try and explore and expand the Turtles universe by creating some new mutant characters which I thought was exciting to us and exciting to the fans. But uh, hindsight being 2020, um, we definitely should have brought in <laughs> Bebop and Rocksteady. So we wouldn't have to wait so long to have a be in the new movie but uh, but yeah it was just a, a way to expand and try to come up with a new, new you know big giant menacing snapping turtle to us was kind of exciting you know um, but uh, but yeah so did you like the, did you see at least Bebop and Roxetti in the new movie they were good that was the best part of it, i think yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so we got
2: somebody else with a question back here. Yeah, Kevin, I just wanted to personally thank you for your brand. Um, I and my wife are living legends and proof of buying the product and late at night stepping on those plastic pieces. So I just wanted to let you know and thank you very much. Well, thank you for support all those years. I it is a you know, I remember, um, and I was talking to an older, uh, an original fan, and he said this, you know, recently, and he was like, why did that stupid blimp never stay inflated, and I said, I, I was like, because that was one of those things that every child wanted that turtle blimp for Christmas, but the thing would never stay inflated, and, um, and uh, uh, all the, when they came out with the technodrome, or the turtle sewer playset, that was like, it was, it was great, because there was a lot of pieces to it, but uh, how many parents stayed up Christmas Eve, putting that beastly thing together, so, uh,
1: I don't, I'm not sure if it's defunct, but didn't you have an art and word museum?
2: And I'm just wondering if that's still around and what happened to the artifacts or the
1: artwork?
2: No thanks, it was actually originally, it was, um, I uh, built it in 1990 in uh, Northampton, Massachusetts. It was called the uh, Words and Pictures Museum. And it was uh, dedicated to showcasing uh, comic book art as, uh, you know, because you know, I always thought that um, the combination of words and pictures to tell a story goes back to cavemen, cave painters, all the way up through history. You can see uh, illustrations supporting text and words and pictures right to uh, comic books. Um, so I had the, the, the gallery, uh, it was a museum for about seven years and, and basically just ran out of turtle money to keep it flowed. <laughs> so something had to go, as was either rent or, you know, so, um, but I was very sad to see it go because I was very, very proud of the place. And uh, so maybe one day we'll have another because you know, comic books. A lot of people don't realize, in in many respects, is a true American art form. And their current form, um, it really came out, came out of in the uh, late '30s. Um, a publisher, an entrepreneurial publisher, got this idea of taking the Sunday funnies that were printed in newspapers, sort of folding them twice more, and then putting stapling them and putting them in the comic books. That's where comic books uh, comic book started. And so that, that that kind of form is uh, is all ours. So maybe we'll have a a museum to, to showcase it one day so, thanks for your question so.
0: all right we're gonna we're gonna do one last question so we're gonna go right here i just
2: wanted to know who your favorite turtle is and then um what caused the uh, shift from all red mask into color and just like tell the story behind that and whatnot yeah, absolutely yes it's you know choosing a favorite turtle is always the hardest thing um because you know i feel like in many ways that um they're all my kids you know, Peter and I were were the parents of the turtles' dads, um, but this um, the shirt. This is a uh, this drawing was the very first uh, turtle drawn, which was Michelangelo. Um, so I've always been kind of partial to Michelangelo because he was like the first one. But um, I do I love them. I love them all dearly, and it's always been it's been fun to um, you know writing different stories featuring a particular turtle. Um, you know it's you can do so much with them i like getting into their personalities individually and i like you know telling their stories with them as a group um i guess if i tell if i had to choose one i like to tell uh, more i've told more stories featuring raphael i don't know who your favorites are but i choose raphael because he's crazier you can do more crazier things especially when they, i team him up with casey jones um but yeah when we were doing the original black and white comic books even the first uh, couple covers that i did in color um it really didn't about it at the time because the interior of the comic was black and white i just painted bandanas red because we could tell them apart by their weapons and you know if you read the original comic books in black and white that's how you sort of call each other by name, like hi don hi leo um or they're they different weapons um but when we started doing the cartoon developing the cartoon show and the toys and the, the uh, animators were like well how do you tell them apart and we're like the weapons duh and uh, <laughs> uh, they said, "Well, it'd be great if we could come up with something that um, helped differentiate them a little bit more." And uh, it was actually Peter's idea. And he said, "Well, wouldn't it be cool if maybe maybe we did different colored bandanas? It would be easily identifiable." So we we selected, um, you know, Michelangelo's orange because it's kind of a silly kind of color, sort of suited him. Uh, Leonardo with the blue. Blue is always sort of considered sort of a Royal or regal color with the katanas, and, and so blue for him. Raphael's our green, if you will, so the red raging, and then Donatello with the purple. It was um, the bow staff has always been kind of more of a monk, more of a pacifist style weapon, so that seemed to fit his technology-minded, you know, uh, views. So it was changed for the original cartoon series. So, but thanks, that was a good question. All right, so that kind of wraps up the questions, Kevin. How about you do your spiel for the end of the end of the interview here? Absolutely, yes. Um, I want to say uh, thank you again for the um, the folks here in Tracy for inviting us up here to come to the show. We've been trying to get up here for a couple of years. Um, and my wife Courtney helped arrange this. We're so thrilled to be part of uh, this whole event. Uh, we're thrilled to be uh, helping support the local uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation. That was one of my favorite charities in the early years of the the turtles. Pete and I looked. At, we did a lot of different charitable things, but we enjoyed the, the Make-A-Wish because it was really um, focused on. Uh, particular child's wishes and, and, and it was important to us um, but we've had a great time here we're going to be doing um, signing at three we've got a two-hour signing right up till five so we're going to be sitting in the building next door uh, hanging out so please if you didn't I know a lot of you I see some faces that came by this morning uh, come by hang out ask any questions we might have missed here uh, we'll sign anything you got and get two hours to hang out together so um, thank you for coming thanks for listening to me Babylon and I appreciate it and uh, thanks for giving me a great life
0: Thank you, Kevin. Real, real pleasure. So let's hear it for him one more time. Go next door, get your stuff signed. Geekish Cast is a Vias and Victor production and is part of the Astro Panda Productions Network. You can find us now on SoundCloud and on Blog Talk Radio. Our theme music is taken from the song Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zeus, Check them out at ReignofZayas.net.